I'm Renee, and you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour for Tuesday, February 10th, 2015. On today's show, we'll talk about The Duchess War by Courtney Milan and go on an adventure into our romance novel reading past. After that, we venture into unknown territory as we discuss book marketing and self-promotion from the perspective of two very different types of book bloggers and one newly minted publisher. Lastly, after learning about the upcoming Captain Marvel film from Marvel Studios, we decided it was time to get our geek together and read the first volume of Captain Marvel, Higher, Further, Faster, More. With me today to dig into all of these topics is my fangirl accomplice, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hello, Renee. How are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm fine. I've just came home from work and my Twitter was exploding because of the... Uh, trailer for Daredevil, the new Netflix show in the, within the Marvel Universe. And I was like, oh my god, I need to watch that. So I ran to my computer and I watched it and I was like, okay. No, I've, I've uh, missed that, it. I haven't. That, that's okay. That looks fine. I can see why the explosion. I'm sorry. I'm behind. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. I just, I'm a bad pop culture fan. This is literally the first time I've heard about it. Like, I knew there was a show. I just, this is literally the first I've heard about the trailer. No, oh, no, no. Just just literally, like, half an hour ago, released it. It's okay. You're ahead of me. Which is really yes. funny, considering this is Marvel, which is my current obsession. I'm sorry. What? So... <laughs> you're sorry that Marvel's my current obsession? You're no, like, I'm yes, you're very I, sorry, because now... I'm sorry that I got, I'm sorry that I got that first. So, yes, because now uh, you have agreed to let me give you some fanfic to read as I slowly incept you into my side of fandom. That's going to be exciting. I'm really excited oh about that. Oh, my God. I'm so scared. I'm just, I don't know why I have said yes. I, I like okay. how you imagine it's going to be this horrible <laughs> thing where I just inflict terrible things on you. Fandom is full of amazing stuff. I'll tell you what my fear is. I fear I'll be sucked in so much that I will have no time for anything else. That's, I think, like, right at the bottom of my fears and my resistance about fanfiction. Now I said it. I cannot disagree with now you. Now our listeners know everything about my deepest secret. <laughs> that you're afraid to read fanfic because you're afraid. Well, we'll have to just apologize to Thea now. I'm really sorry that I'm stealing now your partner. Disappear. I'm, I'm stealing her from the book smugglers. The book smugglers is now closed. <laughs> she's she's in fandom now. <gasps> no, don't say that. Oh my god! You know what else I was doing today? Oh, it was hilarious. So uh, we were talking about ideas. What what we're we gonna do this year? We had our first our first big meeting of 2015. Uh, we had that over the weekend in New York. So then today we were talking more about more stuff that we want to do and how we don't have any time, blah, blah, blah. And then Thaya said, I'm going to create a folder for our great ideas. And I said, oh, hold on. I think we already have one of them. And I went to our Hotmail account and I found this folder that I created in 2008, right at the beginning of the book smugglers. And I found this conversations, whole threads of emails that we had Right at the beginning, and it was it was hilarious, Renee. I was just I, we spent so many hours today just going through them. Things like, oh my God, when are people start going readers? Nobody's reading us, Taya. We only have like a hundred e- readers every day, and, and and we were both like, oh my God, dear author has t- twenty thousand readers um, a month. Are we ever going to get there? <laughs> 
then we got there. Baby book smugglers. That was so cute, our emails. And like, so what do we do? How do we expand this? We should start doing things, more things with publishing. And that was an idea as far back as 2008, apparently, which I didn't remember at all. And, and you know, and the dynamics between Thea and me are have always been kind of like, Thea has these brilliant ideas. She's the entrepreneur. She's the one that wants to do things. And I'm always the one, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. But, 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 uh, uh, maybe that has been so since the very beginning. She's like, all these ideas. And I'm like, but do you really think this is going to work? You know, kind of like really hesitant. In the end, we always end up going forward with her ideas because they are truly awesome and they end up working so well congratulations because as part of our team you're the entrepreneur because <laughs> you're like let's do this and i'm like no that's too much attention on me i can't handle it and you're like let's do this thing over here i'm like no no what are you doing i'm having an anxiety attack what's happening that's that's our dynamic so congratulations uh, on moving uh, into her position i have upgraded to thea yes <laughs> that's great level that's up great. level up <laughs> Great. It's great to be here. It's great to be doing this. It's great to be in this role now, Renee. You're gonna be sorry. I'm gonna be so. I'm already sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Courtney Milan is a historical romance writer whose first novel, *Proof by Seduction*, was published in 2010 to critical and popular acclaim. Milan is a self-publishing whiz, and her blog and Twitter feed are also well worth following for her astute commentary on genre, diversity, and publishing. Today, we'll take a look at The Duchess War, the first book in her Brother's Sinister series. So, Anna, the reason that we read this book was because on Twitter last year, there was this huge Twitter conversation with me and you and and some other people. I think Liz Burke as well. There were uh, a lot of people on this Twitter yeah. conversation where we were all going to do like a book it, club, right? It was a, it was a Strange Horizons book club. Yeah, and we were all going to read this book. Yes, and I didn't. I bought the book and I and I just didn't have time to read in time for the book club. And you bought the book for me. Yes. And then I didn't have time to read it either. No, because we suck. We're terrible. But so. we're reading it now, so it's fine. Yes. Yes. Yay. Hooray. Finally. Um, should we start first with like a minor introduction about our romance novel past or something? Yours is going to be very, very robust, and mine is going to be embarrassingly bad. Well, embarrassingly not, bad. Well, it depends. Not, I don't think it would be as robust as you might think. So, basically, I started reading romance in 2007. At the end of 2007, I picked my first romance novel, and that was uh, The Viscount Who Loved Me by Julia Quinn. And I completely fell in love with it. And at the same time, I was also reading um, The Sandman, uh, the, the, the graphic novel from Neil Gaiman. That's a funny story because I became so obsessed with both Julia Queen and The Sandman that I started getting a lot of those books, like one Sandman graphic novel after the other and one Julia Queen novel after the other from Amazon, right? And because at that point in time, I wasn't, I was saving money to buy a house with my partner and I didn't exactly have a, had a lot of money for books. So I started getting those books, Julia Quinn and Neil Gaiman's Sandman delivered to my office and then smuggled home. That's how book smugglers, book smuggling started. 
So it's all down to romance novels. And then after that, I read about 300 romance novels in one year. And what? I, re I reviewed most of them. What? Yes. Well, I, oh! I say that. I say that. Like, I don't read that many romance fanfic yes, pieces exactly. every year. So, so I don't know why I'm shocked. I do that too. So whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, so no, I, I went to look. I went to look at Goodreads. Because a okay. few years ago, I actually put a, I tried to put a lot of the books from my when I was a teenager and a kid into Goodreads so I could remember them. So I have like I have 123 romance novels shelved, which is comparable to like Fantasy 104 and Science Fiction 97. So that may tell you something. Wow. So as a kid, my library was small. I didn't have a lot of books. I mostly read Nora Roberts' books. There's a reason for this. Her covers, the covers of her books were plain. They didn't have they didn't have people like fucking on the cover. Yeah, that I mean, was just you, absent. Well, so the Mantiti covers. Or no, even women, like even the women were be like have be half dressed on these covers. And I could I I couldn't I was you know, I was 10, 11, 12 years old um some some at some of these points in time. And what they were they like what people wanted me to read in quotes um the proper literature were these like these little series. One of the series was called Love Stories. Like it was like we talked. I talked about it before. It's like a book, like a book franchise situation where it was like a bunch of different writers writing under this banner of young girls finding charming teenage boyfriends, which, as we know, is kind of like fantasy, I guess. I think I had there was like three that I read over and over and over, which is really embarrassing right now. I don't remember the title of. All of them, but the title of one of them was called "Who Do You Love," and it was by Janet Quinn Harkin. Okay. I read this book so much it fell apart. I was reading all these, like I was, I was reading every single book in that series to the point where I was just running out of books. So, so but because these other romance novels that were in the library were so just not a suitable for me to take to school, because when I tried, they were they were taken away from me. Like, I wasn't old enough to read that. I wasn't allowed to read that. It was inappropriate for my age. But Nora Roberts' books, however, had plain covers. Like, they were, you know, very arty or had, like, landscapes on them at the time. Yes. So yeah. they were much safer for me to take into public and, like, and to school, where I did most of my reading during my breaks or when I finished my work. So that's pretty much how I got hooked into her and I stayed with her she was pretty much the only romance author I read for about two years and then after that I sort of drifted into fanfic so I was reading fan fiction I was reading her novels after that that's when I started drifting into like popular fantasy and science fiction but then I went I, I just stuck mostly with fandom and that was that was it and I dropped romance novels and I was mostly just in fandom Right. So for me, after that first year of book smuggling, with the almost 300 romance novels that I had, that I read, after that, I started to read more young adult and fantasy. I still read a few of my favorite authors, like uh, Nalini Singh, uh, Mel Jean Brooke, Julia Quinn, Loretta Chase, um, Rose Lerner. But 
after a while, I just got really burned out of romance. I guess, you know, reading 300 of them in one go was kind of, would do that to you, I guess. That's dedication. That's dedication. Well, I got so into it because I I then wanted to go back and read the classics of of the genre as well. So I went back and I read the big titles from... Uh, Liza Clapers and Loretta Chase and even Julia Quinn as well. So Judith McNaught, but that those were terrible, kind of like really rapey romance and that those no, let's not talk about them. Um I kind of like let that go. And I haven't read a single romance novel in I think about four years. I missed the Courtney Milan start of her career because I was already not reading romance by then but I saw a lot because I still have many friends in the romance community I still read a lot of romance blogs uh, and I saw so many people loving her books um, so many of my friends loving her books and I was really I was really happy to then read the Duchess War it was a really it was a really good way of going back to reading romance so, yeah. So, what did you think of the book? I liked it a lot. No, it was really good. I thought so, too. What did you like about it? So, when I first read this book, the cover, I was like, well, this looks like YA to me. Because I've been I've, I've been inundated with these YA covers with the gowns thing. So, I'm like, oh, I wonder oh, that, what this is going to be like. Wow, that is so interesting because it doesn't, it, it reads romance to me, the cover. But, yes. that You, get, you have a point because there are so many... Uh, YA novels with the girls in the pretty dresses. Yeah, yeah. I told, like, as I told Asia on Twitter the other day when she was commenting on the dress, the dress trend, uh, and I was like, "Yeah, I walked through my way section at Barnes and Noble the other day, and it was like a party for w- rich white politicians' daughters." So that's why yeah. I associate these dress, these like fancy dresses with YA now. All right, okay. That's if that's not if that's not the association YA wanted, they've you fucked up, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I didn't go into this book with preconceptions because I knew if I did, I was going to be like, oh, I'm just going to get judgy. I always get judgy. So I didn't. So I I was like, I'm just going to pick pick it up. It was late at night. I'm like, I'm going to pick it up and read the first chapter and see what I think. Well, four hours later, when I went to bed yeah. at 5 a.m., I was like, hmm, I guess I like this. No, I'm so glad you said that because that is actually another reason why I don't read romance anymore. Because for me, when I pick a romance novel to read, I just can't put it down. I have to read it because one thing that romance novelists know how to do is to build up that tension, right? To start off, the guy is here, the girl is there, and then all of a sudden they meet and there is this super tension between them and you have to keep reading until something explodes either my head or you know something else uh, sorry, just orgasms Anna that's the word you're looking for you're looking for the, the word you're looking for is orgasms I know, it's, so it's okay so now what really surprised me about this book and actually why I really like it is because it's political like it's I didn't expect that for some reason it's a really political book there's She's using the social structures of the period to create this really create like really creative dilemma for these characters. And I was just really impressed. So not only was I like into into how the characters were gonna get together, I was super into how the hell they were gonna resolve this problem with 
his politics and her past. And the fact that he's a duke, right? And she's a commoner. Well, she's not a commoner, but she, she's not exactly duchess material. And that is actually one of the things that I like the most about the book as well. Not only because of the politics, but also because of the self-awareness of the tropes around the duke that falls in love with someone that is beneath him. If, if you pick up romance novels, you will see there are a lot of dukes falling in love with people that are beneath them. And it's part of this fantasy, right? Of how you get there and how can they be together. And it's, it's this really fantasy world almost because in real life, or if you want to talk about in those terms, uh, that wouldn't ha- happen like that. But you know, in the in in those romance novels, they they end up together. Everything's solved. Everything and everybody and ends up together. Everybody's happy, and it, there are there are there there is no concern for the actual problems of someone that is a duke marrying someone that is not duchess material. So I what I loved about this novel is that they interrogate that. Uh, this is interrogated within the novel. It's explicitly told that she is lucky for having this guy falling in love with her and being able to live that fairy tale. So I really like that. There is this whole uh there is this whole conversation between them that is that is one of my favorites in the book because he he has the privilege of being able to do anything he wants as a man, as a rich guy, as as a member of the peerage, and she doesn't have that. And 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 she tells him, "You are lucky. You are lucky to be able to do anything you want. I don't have that luxury. I have to think about um, who I am. What do I have to do? How do I live my life every single moment? And you don't have to do that." And then when they fall in love, he just tells her, you know, come be lucky with me. And I and I love that there is no, there is no glossing glossing over the fact that it's just about luck, right? There is no, uh, there is, it's not a meritocracy. It's not because she's awesome or he's awesome. It's just because of the circumstances around their their birth and their lives and the way that they live that. And also there is, of course, there's an element of fantasy there because. You know, he's a duke who wants to not be a duke anymore, and he thinks that he will, you know, destroy and and end with all the period system. That's that's his goal. So this is how he's able to marry this woman. So there is that element of fantasy there. But I thought it was really well done, and I thought, and like you, I was really interested in how the politics would play within the book. Okay, so uh, the romance that I used to read, obviously, had it was like. You ended with the like you ended with the relationship. Like they would have a fight and then they'd make up and then the book would end. That's how it would end, right? Yeah. That didn't happen here, and I was really startled. I was like, "What? Right. I'm confused." So maybe it's just because of the top the the fact that I was reading authors that wrote in that pattern. I did not expect this book to keep going after they got married, and it did. I was like, "Oh, okay, that happened earlier than I thought it would." Like I thought every I thought all the drama would happen before they even got married. But it didn't. They got married, and then the book kept going. I was super startled. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, this is new. This is new for me. I don't know. I mean, I guess other romance novels probably do that. They don't follow the yes. fight, makeup, uh, end well, the, pattern. But no, just... but there was there was an element of that. I think even after they got married, there is um, that's what I like to call the last minute drama. Um, yeah, the last minute was... drama, which could be solved with five minutes of just conversation, which I think yeah. is not good. <laughs> I, no. I'm not allowed to do that in my work. Like my beta will come at me and be like, 
this conflict could be solved with five minutes of just sitting down and talking. Fix it. Yeah. So in the in in the Duchess War, there's the 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 the, the last minute drama where he he's going to court and he's just going. You know, there's this whole thing of he is going to talk about her past in front of everybody and he's like really angst and it's just like I'm the worst person ever and she's like what are you talking about dude why why don't you talk to me and exactly what don't you yeah. talk for five minutes <laughs> there is un- unnecessary drama and I think that, that which was, actually that, is born that, out but that is but that drama is born out of the fact that he's kind of a privileged exactly because dude. exactly that's that's the point and it's also you know part of the of his emotional makeup as well uh where he doesn't want to share his feelings and because he's so scared that she's not gonna love him and and, and to the point where he thinks that because they have this one fight it's all over so he's not equipped emotionally to have that. And I loved that he is the romantic one in this relationship as well. He's the one that have all of those dreams that sex is going to be this beautiful, synchronized encounter of two bodies. And then they would explode together into a beautiful orgasm that would just leave them satiated forever. <laughs> right? And it, it isn't. It isn't. And no, it, it's, it was, it that was perfect. Yeah. I cracked up the whole that, that through that whole scene i cracked it was so funny i i couldn't like i couldn't breathe i'm like oh you poor dude oh you oh, poor man it was hilarious like and, and also you know the fact that he was a virgin and you know it is a thing in romance or it is a it is one of the tropes of romance that it's it's very um that you can find a lot the guy will have this horrible past and he'll have his daddy issues. And because of those daddy issues, he becomes the Duke of Slut, right? So he just sleeps with everybody. And he's a rake. And he doesn't give his heart out, but he gives his body every night to everybody. And he's a seducer. And he, and I love that Robert in this book, even though he has those daddy issues and he, this mom, those mummy issues, he, he didn't resort to to that path didn't go through that route his route is one of being really sensitive not knowing how to talk to women and never slept with anybody until Minnie came along and of course that then how could he ever be this perfect uh, man or this perfect person in bed when he hasn't had sex before i loved that about the book as well but i love that he was the romantic one the sensitive one the one that could see through Minnie's um mask i guess and then the sex was terrible the first the first sex scene between them was terrible and perfect and terrible the, and perfect ter- exactly right and then i love that she it, it was her that said, what are you talking about? He's like, oh my God, I'm going to sit through this for nine more. So dramatic. For nine more nights, this is going to be awful. Why is this happening to me? And she's like, dude, hold on. Let's talk about this. G- give me your hand. Come here. Let me show you how to move around. I loved Nini to bits. And I loved um, the way that she behaved, the way that her past affected her, and the way that she put, she just walked around with this internal want to be more, to do more, and not being able to to start with because of of who she she was and her uh, her place in society. 
it was kind of like harrowing even to read because she was not the only woman to go through this, obviously, even though she had very special circumstances, very dramatic past as well. Oh, and another thing that I love about this book as well is that is the chess, the chess elements, because she was such a, she was an amazing chess player and she saw everything from a chess uh, perspective of uh, strategy, how she would uh, address Robert and go around. Oh my God, I love that so much. I love chess. So kind of like the book is this perfect combination of being smart and romantic and sexy and clever and and, and and political and funny. Yes. I gave this book four stars. And you gave this book 756 stars. <laughs> I mean, I really liked it. One thing you did mention that I liked a lot was the female friendship in this book. Yeah. No, yes. Absolutely. With Lydia, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I loved it. And it wasn't at all about the men in their lives. It was something that was completely apart. It was independent. Uh, it was their relationship. And actually, she becomes the heroine of, I think, the third novel in the series. I think so. There's. It's called... Yeah. I, don't know the, I don't know what order it is, but the title is uh, A Kiss for Midwinter. Okay. Yeah, I really want to read those. I, I want to read the whole question. series now. I'm super... Yes. I really want to read about his friends, Robert's friends. Oh, Sebastian. Yes. yes. I really, really want to read about that guy. He was great. I really just so really liked the fact that they had they had their romance, but they also had like these these really great friendships off to the side that were just about them. Yes. And they didn't become yes. about the romance itself. Oh, that scene in the train with Minnie and Sebastian and his other friend. What's her name? Violet? Yes. Oh my god, that was hilarious. That was amazing. The dynamics of that entire scene was perfection. And I hope Violet gets a book as well. She will, right? Obviously. I think so. Yeah, okay. There's one about Lydia, and then there's one about his brother. So there's at least those. So I guess it's true that we both enjoyed this book. We will definitely be reading more of Courtney Milan's fiction, correct? Yes. The Duchess War is available now from your book retailer of choice. And you can find more about Courtney Milan's books at CourtneyMilan.com. If you've read The Duchess War, and we know many of you have, what did you think? Let us know. Marketing ourselves in a world noisy with fun distractions can be an impossible hurdle. For writers, being pitted against the shiny visual funhouse of film, television, and video games can seem like shoving a giant ball of shit up a hill made of knee-deep butt-sucking mud. Marketing is an inescapable part of the process for everyone who writes, promotes, and pays attention to what's coming out so they can get their next hit of their genre of choice. But what makes marketing work? What really and truly sticks when it comes to ramming a book or a story in front of people's faces? We're going to dig into this topic and probably alienate every pro author listening to us. Let's do this. Anna, the reason I wanted to talk about this was because after I read The Duchess War, I went and found this essay, totally by accident, I might add, by Courtney Milan, where she talks about back matter for digital sales. So this is an essay that she wrote for a blog where she talks about the page at the very end of her book, where she talks about what she's written, her mailing list, joining her mailing list for, to get her next book. And this page was at the, I don't know if this page was at the end of the Duchess War, or if I just think it is because I read the blog post. But I found this super fascinating from a marketing perspective because it it was super effective because she listed out all the books that were in the series. I'm like, I'm going to read those. That's amazing. Thank you. And I went and looked them up and added them to my list. Right. So I read um, the article as well when you sent that to me. And I thought it was fascinating too. Um, 
the first thing that came to mind, obviously, was that um, now I'm going to put my publishing, my publisher hat, because we produce um, digital copies of our short stories as well. And we also do have back matter. We don't have a subscribe to our newsletter thing like she, like Courtney Milan has, but we do have a list of all of our stories and how to find them. So that's really interesting, and that's something that that Thea, Thea is, is the one who produces the ebooks. She finds it essential, as well. And I think it's it's a really good way of introducing your reader to what you produce, not only as an author but as a publisher as well. And that it's a way that is not too much in your face. I think it's a very respectful way uh, to introduce what you have done because then the reader finishes reading that book or that story then they can see what else is out there and then they can make an informed choice so whether they want to read more or not so when i read that and she talked about how she wouldn't take a contract with a with a big publisher unless that was in the contract i was thinking about you're right uh in in other ebooks there's not that doesn't exist right and most of the ebooks that i get the story ends it's like about the author and then it's like a preview of another book. Okay, how does that make sense? And meanwhile, online, I'm being attacked by the publicity machine of the major publishers via like announcements and giveaways and whatever else. I know I, I ranted on Twitter because there's a book being promoted by Tor, I think, right now called The Providence of Fire by Brian Staveley. I'm so sick of this book. I haven't even read the first book. I had the first book, but I haven't read it yet. And I'm already sick of the second book because it's everywhere and it feels not natural. Like the marketing doesn't feel natural. It just feels like they're putting as much coal in the publishing machine as they can to get it in front of eyeballs. And they're not really trying to engage. And so it's just tiring. It just, it's, it's exhausting how much I see this book. I get it. They have a book coming out. They really want to sell it. It's great that you're supporting your author, but it just start it just starts to feel a little disingenuous. Do you think? I don't know. I am I am torn about that because what else will they do? Well, it's the same. I mean, like they're they're tweet like they're posting tweets and get, doing these giveaways in the same tide pool in the same community over and over and over. But, but do you know? I haven't seen that, which is fascinating because sometimes I too go through periods where I'm like I'm so sick and tired of seeing this book everywhere, and then I mention that on Twitter, and then people go like, "But I have seen. I haven't seen it." So, Are we cursed? Because this, this happens with know, this happens with this happens to me with books get, that get a lot of publisher support and more than books are by dudes. Oh no, that 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 is another side of the conversation because there is definitely more support for a certain type of book or by a certain type of author, and that kind of support is really really out there to the point where I sometimes get three four review copies of the same book for the big titles and then for smaller titles or even like big titles as well i get one or i get none so you can you can actually see where the marketing machine is going and, and is gearing up to toward which books right yeah and, and so last year right me and me and jody and anna did our yes all stories thing where we promoted a bunch of 2015 books by women and 
non-binary authors and people of color. Finding books for that list was like pulling teeth. It was almost impossible. I had to ask for help. I had to go to Ellen Rod at Orbit and be like, help, help. How do I do this? Help. And she gave me some ways to look it up, but they're so complicated to look things up that it's just, it's hard. So I understand on one hand that because it's so hard, this published report is really important But I also feel like it should be a little easier for people who just want to go look it up to find out what's coming out soon instead of just having to rely on the coal supply publisher for the the giant machine that they're going to launch to throw up at like five different books by dudes with guys in hoods on them in my face. No, it is true. And and it's, it's also true in YA as well. I sometimes get so sick and tired of the bigger titles because they are everywhere. And the machine, the publicity machine is is huge sometimes. And you have the review copy sent to you and then you have all the emails and you have blog tours and you have giveaways. And we take part in a lot of them. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be. I'm, I actually think that there should be because you have to get your books out there some, somehow, right? And you have to make noise and you and, and in the current market where you have so much options, so many options, uh, not, not only of books every month, coming out every month, but also TV and, 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 and movies and everything that it's fighting for our attention. So what else would publishers do? What else would public, publicists do other than trying to get the books that they think will sell the most are the most visibly commercial books? In front of whomever they think will will matter, like or bloggers and authors, other authors. In a way, I see the conundrum. I see that they have to do that as a publisher as well. I I I, I do a lot of promotion. I, I I tweet a lot of of what we are publishing. But you're not obnoxious about it. I try not to be. I hope I'm not. But but maybe I am for some people, Renee. Like. For those books that we, we just talked about, that for us, they are everywhere. Maybe my promotion, even though they are not obnoxious for you, they are for someone. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's you don't a, do it enough, though. It's not even the promotion itself. It's the sheer amount of it that's coming at me. And yeah. maybe it's just the people I follow. Like It's just because I follow a lot of what I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there and say industry bloggers. Because I don't get review copy. Not, not that much. Um, mostly, I get it from Orbit and... Like it's a few books a year, maybe. I don't get that kind of. I'm just a reader, like that has a blog that sometimes okay. writes about books, so I don't get that sort of thing. Like so I'm just, so I'm outside of, I'm outside of that machine. If I'm outside the machine and I'm still seeing it like that, I don't know. It feels like a problem because it feels like all the other books that are coming out, all the books that I actually want to read, are getting drowned out by these other books that I might want to read, sure, but I don't need to hear about them 600 times. So I don't even know what the solution is to this. Because, I mean, I think about some of the publicity uh, plans that I've seen. The Cameron Hurley's last year, I thought that was really effective. I thought it was really well done. She was everywhere. She even, like, she wrote, like, 8,000 or something essays for a a bunch of different blogs. It was a lot of writing. It didn't feel so blatantly commercial, if that makes sense. But would would that be because you were interested in that book? But I wasn't, I'm not really interested in that book. Okay. 
Jenny was interested in that book, but I, I just, I was like vaguely interested, I guess. I was like, eh, maybe, but I still haven't read it because it looks like really complicated fantasy and I'm not really into super. I think I have like one complicated fantasy novel in me for every like five years and the Goblin Emperor took that spot. It's complicated. Cameron actually wrote an entry about promoting your book where she talks about how, like, I have no idea your book is coming out. It's the title of her post and she talks about this author that she really likes who she finds out is has a book coming out because she has a tweet. And otherwise, she hadn't heard about that book anywhere. Like, it was not on any blogger list. It wasn't really promoted. So I did, So if she didn't know it was coming out, does anybody else know it was coming out? So then you have that problem, too, where there's not equal weight of all books that get... They don't all get... You know, they don't all get the same support. No, no, they don't get... The, there's, there's not enough budget. And I just wonder... Machine. Like, I just wonder, like... Not even it out a little. I'm not a I'm not a publicist. I'm gonna get so many angry emails. Alan is going to send me hate mail. But I just feel like there's gotta be some way to even out the distribution of publicity wealth somehow. I I actually agree with that because there are so many books out there coming out at the same time, and there are some that you don't you don't ever hear about, and then feels like the the vast majority of the money and the attention is given to the titles that they consider to be the bigger titles, the, the, the flashier ones. More often than not, it ends up being books by white males, right? But that's just marketing. Like, you can make anything look flashy if you market it the right way. Oh, that's true. That's very true. That's very true. The, the, the point that I'm trying to make is that it's the, it's the white male author that gets more attention more and more and then the books that sometimes what you were saying that you were looking for releases by a certain type of author and I try so hard to find books like a couple of months ago I wanted to read an LGBT fantasy novel oh my god it was so hard to find one of them I was trying to find new titles, and, and if you go through uh, blogs or publishers' websites, and it's just so hard to find them. It's like, and but they are all there. It's just, I just... And then, a why? I mean, part of my thing is also that the publishers do this, but then the fans repeat it. They repeat the behavior. If you go to Goodreads and look at Listopia, like the like 2015 books that we're excited about are great releases in sci-fi and fantasy in 2015. Like, if you look at those lists, what's repeated there is those titles that are getting that huge publicity push. I don't know where I was going with that, but that, I mean, that's what happened. Fans and readers repeat the pattern because no, that's that, what the that, publisher engages in. That's also true. If if I were to rely exclusively on the review copies that I receive, I would read the vast majority would be books by male white male authors the vast majority of them i get a lot more books from that specific demographic than from any other and if it wasn't for me looking out for books by other people i would not be as eclectic in my reading as i try to be or as i am there is something that is you know dear to me close to my heart to talk about this because like for example uh, I went to New York a couple of a couple of days ago and I and I brought some books to Thea from UK publishers and uh, when I got there and I gave her a pile of books and they were all by guys Renee 
all of them. They were all books that I received in the past couple of weeks. It's 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 a it's a domino effect, isn't it? So it's the books that are acquired, then it's the marketing machine, and then you have the booksellers that buy the books and make displays out of them. And you know that sometimes you go to a bookstore and you go to the science fiction and fantasy display, and you won't find any books from from female authors. The vast majority of them would be from male authors. And then as a blogger, you are inundated with the same kinds of books over and over again. You know, and, and sometimes there are exciting books coming that way, and sometimes you find treasures amongst them. But I feel that there is a, a lot that is not talked about. There's a lot that is not promoted, and it's a shame. It's a shame that there is not there isn't a balance, and we are missing out, and people are missing out. And then, of course, then the marketing becomes a huge part of this whole thing that then uh, if you market only certain types of books and you end up selling just some types of books and then you just talk about some certain types of books and then those types of books are the ones that make awards lists and then the other ones that becomes a bestseller and then of course it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because the bestsellers are the ones that the publishers want to buy more of therefore then reinitiating the cycle. And I just went on a tangent and I'm not really talking about marketing anymore. No, it is marketing though. Like the, yeah. the gender balance of if you're a you're a book blogger where you actually get review copy. When I'm not really like I'm, I don't really consider myself to be like because I don't get enough review copy to to matter. But you definitely see the pattern. And I mean, this is this was my entire argument when I was doing coverage of women on SFF blogs, which is it's a it's at every level. I can critique fan reviewers until I turn blue. Like, if they're relying on publisher copy to to run their blog, they don't ha- really have much of a choice. They have to, like, their only choice is to go to publishers and be like, I want to read more books by this group instead of this group that they've been sending me copy by. And if the publishers are willing to do that, then it's it's just stuck, right? So this is an, like, the marketing thing is also an intersection of the gender issue. This is why I think what Courtney Milan is doing with her back matter stuff is so brilliant because it just bypasses the publisher completely. Yes, it, exactly. Like she's self-published. She's really, she's obviously really good at it. Because here's the thing: I had never read Courtney Milan, but I'd heard about Courtney Milan because she's done such an excellent job of marketing herself. So this little thing she puts at the back of her ebooks, telling people, join my mailing list to find out more about my book, review, tell people about it, share my books. Here are the rest of my books in my series. This, I don't understand why publishers aren't doing that. I don't understand. It's brilliant. If the self-published people have figured it out, that is an excellent way to market the authors. Why aren't they doing it too? I think probably some of them are. Some of ours are. There's got to be others. Because it's, just... it's like it's. I mean, it's it's well, not in it's... your face, right? It's just it's no, just a real. Exactly. It's it's a, a one-time thing that you write up and put in the back of a book that just stays there, and you don't have to worry about it. And it ha- it pays. And obviously based on her data, pays huge dividends. And it's also actually helpful to the reader as well. Because once you enjoy a book and you want to know more, and the information is right there. And sometimes in, when when you go to a website, to an author website or a publisher's website, and the information is just not there. Yes. So I'm just, I'm just really confused about why we're still sticking to like, these like giveaways. and People like giveaways. Yeah, people I like do. giveaways, but only... 
you know, not everybody wins. And so the people no. that fail, the people that don't win actually go read that book. Do they go buy no. that book if they well, don't win? Well, sometimes it's not about selling the book. It's just about visibility. Uh, because then that the person that engaged in that giveaway, even if they didn't win, at least they sought the book. And they might at some point in the future when they come across that book somewhere and they say, oh, that's the book that blog talked about. I never enter giveaways. I'm super uncomfortable. I get super weirded out. Just like, that's no, 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 that's asking for free stuff. I feel weird. We run a lot of giveaways. You do, and I never yeah. enter any of them. Yeah. And yeah, I should start trolling you by just entering all of them. People yeah. I don't care with the book. I find that our readers like them. I never had any complaints. We've well, no, complaints. people aren't going to complain about free shit, you know? <laughs> no, well, well, no, but... Well, they could. They could say, like, I, I, I like to think that we have a good relationship with our readers, with our regulars, that if there was something that bothered them, they would tell us. You know, that sometimes they do about other stuff. And we, and we try to, to make our giveaway uh, giveaways fun as well. We always have, like, questions for them to answer. So there is an engagement. Like, we always like... My favorite type of giveaways that we run is, for example, if we do a giveaway of a fantasy novel, we ask, so what's your favorite fantasy novel, right? So people are, are actually leaving those comments and they actually end up engaging with each other in the comments area. And then we, we, you end up with the list of romance novels recommended by my readers. And I kind of like that. I really like that. Yeah, but yeah, but like you, the giveaways I see aren't like that though. Like you're building a community uh, with your blog. You're like deliberately setting out to build a group of people who have a shared love of reading and with most giveaways i see that just like i I think that's what this comes down to for me is the fact that i don't react very well to a publisher repeatedly putting stuff in front of my face because it doesn't feel feel like they're trying to engage me with the book they're just trying to sell me something yes they're just trying to sell me a a thing, a product. Whereas the promotion I like that most of my like most of my favorite authors do, like like Cameron's promotion, even when I don't care about the particular book she's promoting at the time, Kate Elliott does really it, good promotion. It's, it's a it's a thoughtful way of doing it. They they like they are they're engaging with the readers. They're not just being like, I want to give you this thing. I want you just to give me money no, yes, and then go yes. away. Yes, there are definitely different ways of doing it. And I guess definitely. it's just I'm just I've just come down on it. Like after this many years in this community, uh, following all these big publishers, I've just come down on the side of I really prefer promotion that's not that doesn't feel like it's coming off a factory line. Yeah, no, that's I agree with that as well. And this is why, uh, like for example, another thing that is it's it's part of the publishing tool set, say, for promotion is, is the blog tour. Uh, we participate in blog tours. I don't I don't find any problems with that. But sometimes they go we we accept to participate in those where we can get the type of content that is interesting. Like for example, an essay from the author about the book or something else that is interesting that we find that would generate discussion or our readers would find interesting and we we try not to participate participate in blog tours that last four months what? sometimes what? sometimes sometimes there are blog tours that are like we have dates that are going to last for a month and i'm like no that is that will exhaust your readership why do you why would you do that why would you put that same book on the 
30 different blogs for the duration of a month, this, this will sure, this will backfire. And sometimes it does. I have seen so many promotions that just backfired because of that, because it just, it, it runs for too long and it is too much. I'm sure now we're going to get a bunch of hate mail. Well, I say we, I mean me. I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail. Why would we? Oh, well. Our of listeners a, are lovely people. Our opinions about, I don't, I don't, like, I mean, I promote my stuff, like my writing, and that's really hard. Like, just promoting my stuff is hard. So I know how hard promotion is, and I just think it's really funny. That I'm just, like, I don't care so much about author promotion. If authors were promoting, I have no beef with that. It's just the pub- the the publicity machine that the publisher is running is, I guess, my biggest complaint at this point because it just feels so disingenuous. And I don't know how I don't know how an, like an actual like that can feel disingenuous, but I'm a special snowflake, so we'll just go with it. There are different levels, right? So. You- have the publisher and then you have the author and then you have the reader and then you have you know the blogger and then of course there's the element of self-promotion and then we 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 go into that whole thing of don't self-reject of how to talk about yourself how to self-promote and i and, and it's just such a difficult thing to find a balance if you've ever been grievously visually attacked with a marketing plan, or if you want to fetch with me about the inescapable gender balance of most mainstream SF novel publicity plans, get in touch. I can write a novel about these things, all in caps lock, just for you. All the essays we've discussed will be available in our show notes. Captain Marvel is a character in the Marvel Universe that has been around since 1967 under various incarnations. In 2012, Carol Danvers, previously known as a superhero Miss Marvel, became the new Captain Marvel in an ongoing series written by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Part alien, part human, Carol Danvers has not only super strength and ability to fly, she can also fire blasts of energy from her fingertips. I 100% lovingly hinted that Anna should definitely read Captain Marvel Volume 1, Higher, Further, Faster, More, which sort of reboots the character. As with all things Marvel, it's complicated. So, Anna, you read the first volume at my at my friendly insistence. Yes, I did, and I'm glad you did, too, because I loved it. I, I knew you would. Yes. I love it, too. It was so cool. The first thing that I want to talk about is that I probably need to have someone come over and take my fangirl credentials from my hands, because maybe I'm not a true fan or whatever, uh, but I had not heard of Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers before this. It was the news about the movie that put that on my radar. I can't explain why I never heard of about this character before. I don't know why you seem ashamed. You do realize that I didn't know Captain America was a character until the first Avenger came out. The movie that itself that is. I didn't know that our, I didn't know that Iron Man was a character until 2008 when the movie came out. What? No, I, I don't know what to say here. This is terrible. I just wasn't into comics. I didn't know these characters existed. I didn't know. I didn't know Captain Marvel was a thing until KJ read the first volume either last year or the year before, and she wrecked it to me. I didn't know any of these characters. So maybe we should both just leave this podcast right now. <laughs> We're terrible fangirls. No, I'm just really, I just wasn't, in it. I didn't have access we to comics. fake fangirls, obviously, Renee. Fake fangirls. I didn't have access. I don't know, I like, I don't know how I was supposed to know who these characters were. 
Uh, I didn't have access to comics at all. And as I was growing up, like, 0% access. There were no comic... There were no quirky, small comic shops in rural Arkansas to give me access to these comics and these characters. So I just didn't know they existed. I was too busy, I guess, watching the Disney Channel. Hmm. (laughs) Well, anyway, now we know. Now we know. And it's amazing. I read the... Okay, so I don't understand. There were two volumes before this. In the first, and there was like another volume one. Right? Yeah, there was there was two volumes before this, and they were both really good. But then for some reason they rebooted it and restarted it, and I still don't have a clue why. Maybe somebody can explain that to me. Maybe at the same time they could explain Marvel to me. Period, because I get so confused <laughs> over Marvel comics, and so I I don't know why they rebooted it, but I'm totally in favor of the reboot because. There are some sweet characters in this. It's just like Carol goes to space and makes a bunch of friends with some women, and there's a lesbian kiss. <laughs> it's perfect. It's and so Guardian, great. and then Guardians of the Galaxy show up, and she blows things with her hands. And she fights with Rocket over her cat. I know. <laughs> it's right? a flurkin. Oh God, I cracked up. It's so perfect. It is, it is perfect. And then in the end, she's like, I am a woman of war. Come at me. And then she just fights an entire fleet of spaceships on her own, flying in space. Is, is this not the best character of all time? She's so great. She's super funny and really, she's good at a lot of things, but she's really bad at other things. Like, there was a panel in the middle somewhere where Peter Quill... And she are talking to a passenger on her spaceship who just tried to steal the spaceship and run off. Um, she was like, he was like, you're not good with, like, she makes the kid cry. And she, he's like, you're not good with kids. <laughs> it's so perfect. And and also, I loved her relationship with um, the um, Iron Patriot as well. At the beginning of, of the graphic novel, she's having an affair with the Iron Patriot and uh, and she kind of like easing to him, but she also wants to go off and do her own thing and think about her feelings. And he's like, okay, if you gotta go, you gotta go. And that was kind of really awesome as well. Mostly, awesome. I just like that she's dating Rhodey, apparently. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Exactly, fucking awesome. And um, and I loved all the other female characters in the book as well. There's not only her, but she has relationships with friends, and and she develops a relationship with the girl that she's saving. Tick, Tick. yeah. And then she develops another relationship with this other woman who so she basically goes to another planet right and then in that that planet there is this woman who is uh the defense minister chief engineer and then she presents herself i'm um jackie i'm a warlord and goddess pleased to meet you and i'm like who are you i love you come be my friend pretty much i'm gonna go back and listen to the segment later and count how many times i said the word perfect and it's gonna <laughs> end up in the thousands <laughs> i suspect too perfect for words yes Beyond it being fun, entertaining, beautifully uh, drawn, beyond the, the, the character being awesome and kick-ass, and there's also the fact that the story itself is really interesting because it puts her in a position of trying to help these people who are fighting this evil warlord, overlord, whatever, 
the dude is a douchebag, obviously. But there are several women in position of power, and they were all doing their own thing. And Carol kind of like helped, but not saved them. If that if that makes any sense, because they were already in the middle of a resistance movement, and they were already doing their own thing. And I really liked that. In the previous two volumes before the reboot, they were doing. It was more stuff, like, on Earth. So I'm assuming that this reboot is trying to tie into the eventual, like, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, like, into the MCU. Because obviously Marvel's doing that whole summer event where they merge the universes and and everything's going to start over. I don't understand that. Whatever, Marvel. (laughs) Just as long as you don't touch. Do not touch Carol. Do not touch. (laughs) Do not touch. Do not touch. Captain Marvel or Miss Marvel or Black Widow, just go away. Just go away and leave myself alone. Oh, oh Renee. I, 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 I hate to be the bearer of bad news. <laughs> but something terrible is going to happen. Something, something terrible always happens in the Marvel Universe. I used to read a lot of X-Men comics, right? And it's just there are so many parallel stories and people who die and come back and go to another dimension and come back and then they, they leave and then they become zombies and what? You know, the like, hell? Yes, there's Marvel zombies, it's the best. Have you never heard of No, I don't <gasps> It's this whole thing when there is a zombie apocalypse and all the superheroes become zombies. Like Iron Man eats Wolverine. You have to... No, no! (laughs) Negative! I'm not reading that. I'm never reading that. It's the funnest thing ever. What? No! It's like Iron Man flies around with just one leg because the other leg fell off because it's a zombie. Who wrote this? Who approved that? Who approved that? (laughs) It's a literal mess. Anyway, so yes, anything can happen in the Marvel Universe. Anything can happen. Everything that I hate is going like... Like, it's complicated, Renee. They're rebooting everything. Apparently, they're gonna, gonna go fuck up my comics that I'm reading. They're having the civil war in the MCU, which is terrible because I just refuse to. I just refuse to consider any universe where Tony and Steve are not friends. I refuse. Oh, oh yeah, because that's what happens in the civil war, right? They go to different sides. Civil war. It's just like a pile yeah, of garbage. Civil war. Apocalypse. Yeah, basically. Well, you know splitting the Avengers. No. That's cool, though. So I just want them to leave, want them to leave Carol alone. Yeah, she's really cool. I love, I loved it. I really you like know, Kelly Sudaconic anyway. I really want you to go back and read the other two volumes, like the ones before the reboot. I really think you would like them. Okay. I don't guess there, I don't guess there's any, like, resolution to what ha- like, the end of the volume two. There may, there may be. I don't know. I didn't, like, go look because the reboot happened and I was like, what? What happened? I'm confused. But I really think you would like them on their own, too, because the first one is, like, time travel and relationship with uh, other women. It's really good. Time travel. Say no more. <laughs> that's, that's the code word for me. <laughs> I love time travel. travel. Yes. It's my thing. <laughs> it's my weakness. My kryptonite. Oh, no, wait, that's the secret. Oh, fired. <laughs> fired from our podcast. We do not mention DC here. No, okay, I'm fine with that. So, yeah, I really love this. I really love this volume. I'm actually getting the issues now. So, I'm no longer behind. But I will not spoil it for you. Okay. 
Captain Marvel is written by Kelly Sudakonic and illustrated by David Lopez. The first volume collects issues one through six, and we definitely want to know what you think about it. So give us a holler if you've read it, or after you immediately go buy it and read it after this podcast is over. All right, it's recommendation time. Anna, you're up first. What do you have this week? Right, so this week I'm going to recommend uh, another TV show, uh, and it's going to be uh, Jane the Virgin. It's uh, it's a TV show that started at the end of last year at the CW. Please, please listen to me. <laughs> don't 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 move away from this podcast right now just because I'm recommending a CW show. <laughs> okay, so it is an amazing, amazing show. There's been I think twelve episodes so far. It's a it's a telenovela, or it kind of like pays homage to telenovelas, to Mexican telenovelas. Uh, it has uh, Mexican-American um, characters as the as the main characters, and it's really funny. It's really charming. Um, and it's about this woman. She's very young, and, we, and when she was growing up, her grandmother, who is uh, Mexican, is an immigrant to America, told her that she should not have sex before getting married. And she absorbs this, but in a way, it's kind of like her answer to the fact that her mother had her very young and she was single and, and there were hardships in her growing up. So she decides that she will remain a virgin because she wants to graduate and she wants to get a job and she will not have sex. But she has a boyfriend and they fool around, etc. Anyway, long story short she gets pregnant by accident through uh insemination because her gynecologist was having a bad day after breaking up with her wife i sounds ludicrous <laughs> like that, on paper i would never have watched it because it sounds terrible right but the show is really it interrogates all of these things and it, it pays homage to teleno- to mexican telenovelas at the same time that questions some things challenges other things but engages with those stories and the main character has relationships with several different women uh, including her mother and her grandmother which is the, the central relationship of the show and the show is also narrated by this hilarious voiceover and it's kind of like if you ever watched Pushing Daisies that's the kind of narration that Jane the Virgin has and I, and like I said it sounds ridiculous but it's not I cry and I laugh every single episode and it's, it's really good plus it has a really super hot guy a central lesbian relationship that is kind of like really graphic as well. They kiss, they have sex, everything on camera. My recommendation, Jane the Virgin on the CW. What about you, Renee? Well, I can't top that. I don't have a CW <laughs> rank for anybody. Sorry. Uh, my rank this week is a book called A Hero at the End of the World by Aaron Claiborne. It's about you and Mayo, and he is destined to fulfill a prophecy to kill an evil wizard. And instead of him killing the wizard, his best friend ends up doing it. And his whole life is turned upside down as the magical world that supported him and passed him through the all all like his school and gave him like lots of privileges just dissolves and leaves him working in a coffee shop. 
It's a super cute book. It was published last year by Big Bang Press. I really, this is obviously, this, it's sort of riffing off Harry Potter, and it does it really well, but even after that, like, the book is just itself is just really funny. I've read Erin's writing for years and years, and she's so hilarious. I definitely recommend, if you like YA Fantasy, to check it out. I completely second this recommendation. It was, one of, it was actually one of my top ten books of last year. Yeah, I made a my list, too. It's really funny. Just, it's, it's just a really fun hilarious. book to it's, read. It's so, like, right, it's just... It's, it's charming and it's really funny. Yeah, that would be well done. Great recommendation, Renee. I approve. You approve? I'm glad you approve uh, my recommendation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, Anna, thanks for talking to me this week. No problem. You can find links to some of the things we discussed today at fangirlhappyhour.com or on Tumblr at fangirlhappyhour.tumblr.com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour.gmail.com, find our Twitter feed at fangirlpodcast, or drop us an ask on Tumblr. For both myself and Anna, thanks for listening. See you next episode.